Welcome to Hitachi Solutions Podcast. Join us as we talk with our skilled professionals and experts exploring how customers, like you, are delivering business outcomes, tackling business challenges, and accelerating their business initiatives leveraging Microsoft applications and technologies. Welcome to this episode of Exchanges. I'm Joel Lindstrom, Senior Director for Power Platform and Low Code at Hitachi Solutions North America. Joining me is M. Darcy. Hey, Joel. This is M. Darcy. I use she, they pronouns, and I am the Senior Solution Architect for the Power Platform on our pre-sales team, and also, as of a couple of weeks ago, three times Microsoft Business Applications MVP. Woo. Congratulations again. That's a, that's a stressful time of year, but... Uh, Glad to hear that you were uh, you were, were renewed. Congrats. Yeah, thanks so much. So uh, in this episode, we wanted to highlight what's coming up in our latest issue of Power Platform Insights. Power Platform Insights, if you don't know, is a monthly summary of Power Platform news and information where you can learn more about the Power Platform, along with what we're doing with it at Hitachi Solutions. You can read Insights at our website, global.hitachisolutions.com, or check us out on LinkedIn. We regularly post it there. And it's a monthly feature whereby we highlight things about the Power Platform. And for summertime, we're taking it a little bit easy. We have a combined edition for July and August. And so we compiled, compiled some of our top questions that we get asked when we're talking to customers or prospective customers. And so this is really like eight or nine of the kind of most challenging and thought-provoking questions about the Power Platform. And you get you get lots of questions, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the fun thing about the Power Platform is that every single client we work with always has a different kind of use case, and there's also similarities between them. And the Power Platform as a whole is just such a massive piece of kit that it's really hard for us to expect customers to know exactly what it can do. So our job really is to teach our customers and our clients what the Power Platform can do and how it can help them with their business challenges. Right, absolutely. And it's it's our full-time job, so we, we spend a lot of time thinking about this and implementing it. But if people, other people have other things to do for their day jobs. And so it's understandable why it's hard for them to keep up with the very rapidly changing technology in the power platform. So how about we get into a couple of these questions? We don't want to, want to give away all the questions, but you want to talk through a couple of the questions, then? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. All right. So first of all, um, how do you know when you should use low code or you should use more traditional development methods to build an application? That is such a great question, and it really does come down to several different factors. And when we get this question or when we're trying to think of solutions for our clients, our first thing is answering the who, right? Who are we actually developing this application for? And if you also have experienced developers on staff, there's really no need to make them switch to low code unless there's like a viable reason to do so. Traditional dev is usually more comfortable and efficient for them as it is. However, if we don't have traditional developers on staff, we all know with global labor shortages, et cetera, it's really difficult to find people to actually fulfill a lot of these technical challenges. That's really where low-code development has come in and has been a shining star. 
learning how to use low-code development tools is really easy. It's significantly easier than having somebody in, let's say, HR or in accounting go through some sort of code class, right? They're, they're not going to want to do that. That's, that's not their primary focus. If we're able to teach them how to create business solutions by themselves very, very quickly using low-code tools, we're able to mitigate a lot of issues that our customers are seeing with that lack of technology specialists being available. Absolutely. And I think the cost of an application, you have to look at several factors. One is, you know, the license cost. That's kind of the easy, low-hanging fruit discussion because you can easily say, like with Power Platform, well, maybe sometimes not so easy because there's multiple options, but you can you can pretty easily come down to a calculation of how many people are going to use the app, uh, how much does that cost per month? Is it part of the standard office license? Is it a premium license? Is you know, Should these people have per app or per user? But you can come up with kind of generally what the cost from a license perspective is. For traditional applications, it's a little bit more challenging because a lot of times you're using Azure or AWS, there's con- consumption uh, fees where basically it will, it will, based on how much you consume, it will the cost will vary. Uh, and you have all the different pieces that can have different pieces, like your database, like SQL, like the hosting fees, other things like that. So a lot of times on the surface, traditional development looks cheaper. You might say, hey, we already got this SQL license. We already have this and that. But there's more to it when it comes to that. There's also the cost of maintaining that. How frequently is it going to change? How how often, how many people do you need to support it? And generally speaking, uh, when done right, low-code is faster to develop and typically can be supported with either fewer people or with less technical people. And so that's all part of the discussion. We're not going to say that low-code is the right fit for everything. Uh, another factor is kind of how pixel-perfect does it need to be? If you run a fine jewelry store and you have a app that your customers use, for one thing, that might be used by millions of people externally. So that's a good consideration where you know you have a large numbers of external users, high amounts of data, other things like that. Those are all factors that will go in. So it's not an easy yes, no question, but those are the kinds of considerations you should make when deciding whether to use low code and or or traditional development methods. This is fun, Em. You want to ask me the next one? Yeah, sounds good. I, I really like your response to that. I would just want to add a little bit of if we are building something with low code, that does not mean it's low complexity. I think that's a common misconception about low code tools. It does, does not mean you're building something that's not complex and it does not mean we're not we're abandoning traditional development methods either. We still build in things like ALM and source code uh, management, et cetera, which I think is important to note. And um, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean we're doing either or too, because you could you can have a combination. Dataverse works equally well with custom developed user interfaces as it does with power apps. And so it's not either or increasingly it's both. It's a hybrid fusion model where you were using the best tools for the job and using them together. Yeah, I love that. I, I really like being able to ensure our clients get the the right tool for the job. It's super important. 
So I have another one for you that I think I actually commonly ask myself even this question, and a lot of clients ask us this question too, and even some makers can frequently have confusion around this topic. When you're building a power app, how do you decide whether to have the app perform an operation using either Power Automate Flow or within the app itself? How do you make that choice? That's a really good question that we talk about almost every week and every project we have where we have specifically complex bulk operations need to happen. We need to update a thousand records or something like that. It's a, it's a very good discussion to have to make sure that you're building an app that is scalable, that will meet all of the requirements. There's a couple of things that I would look at. One is how real time does it need to be? The great thing about an app is if an app does something, it's pretty much synchronous. It happens real time. Uh, that said, though, if it's a very large data operation, you don't always want that because that could time out or it could slow the user down. We never want to put roadblocks in the user experience. And if I have to wait while the app turns and does something, I'm going to get very frustrated. Um, it's also like how long running is the task. Uh, does it need, to, but also consider who is that operation running as? Sometimes it's Joel makes an update in the app, and we want to make sure that the update happens as Joel. Other cases, we might want to, for various reasons, have it do something in the context of a service account or something else. Using a flow gives us the capability to kind of separate that out and then have, have that run in the context of a service account, especially for things that have a lot of API calls. And some developers on my team just love to segment operations because you got to consider the, what the long-term supportability of this is, where if you have an app where you build in very, very complex patch formulas, it can be more challenging, especially for lower tech, lower technical people to be able to support that versus if I know that this operation happens with a flow, that can sometimes be easier for them to support because we know that this operation happens in the flow. So already we narrow down where it happens. And then we can very easily, you know, there's there's people who can troubleshoot and enhance flows that might not be advanced app makers that, you know, understand the most complex patch statements. Yeah. What is it that Jerry Martin likes to say, our good friend and colleague, Make it work, make it right, make it fast. I love that. I think it's a really good motto to have when you're talking about building solutions specifically that need to be user experience driven. Yeah, we're going to put that as a plaque on the Jerry Martin statue. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this this last question we're going to talk about um since you asked me the last one, I'll ask you this one. This is one that I've got I received versions of this. Uh, probably three, four times in the last four months. And it usually comes from somebody who's coming from SAP or some other legacy, really big monolithic application. And, you know, they've experienced some pain around what you call lock-in, which is, okay, we, we started building on top of this platform. We, we implement SAP. It does everything from, you know, mow our grass to curl our hair. And, you know, we want to make a change. It's very painful. And so we're, we're locked in. It limits our options. 
is that a factor with the power platform? If I if I build on power platform and Dataverse, am, am I going to paint myself into the corner and be locked in? It's such a great question. And I also frequently hear this from clients. And my takeaway from this question is I need to do a better job of educating you on the path the possibilities of the power platform. First and foremost, the power platform, it's one of its main draws and main attractions is the fact that it lets everybody play in the sandbox, so to speak. You're not really limited to one particular data source. Like Dataverse is typically used as your data source for a lot of your power platform solutions, but Dataverse also allows you to leverage other kinds of data sources like Azure SQL, Azure Blob. You can connect into various different things using power automating connectors. I think the mindset needs to shift from, okay, I'm in this one platform and I'm only able to use this platform, whereas Microsoft's new theology, and you see this really across the entire Microsoft range of products, like even Xbox, I play a lot of video games. You're able to play video games with other people on different platforms like Nintendo, etc. So I think we're really moving away from being locked into one specific type of platform and being able to integrate with other things. Plus the fact that the scalability that Dataverse really provides is immense, right? Being able to create small solutions right the way up to some of those massive third first party apps that we see coming from Microsoft, such as field service and sales, et cetera. So I truly believe that if a client is asking us, hey, am I going to be locked in? Am I going to be stuck with this? Is it scalable? We need to to basically be able to educate them and explain to them the actual purpose of the power platform and its capabilities. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. And I would say it's the opposite of lock-in because every piece in a typical solution, be it the logic and the flows, be it Dataverse, be it the UI and the app or chatbot, any one of those can be easily replaced, upgraded. There frequently is kind of a yin and yang of low code and pro code. So for example, if I decide that for some reason my power automate flow isn't working for me and I want to move to a logic app, I can do that. Or my chatbot, if I want to move to bot framework technology and bring these skills into it, I can do that. If I want to replace my low code app with a Xamarin app or I want to replace it with something else, I can still keep Dataverse and the flows and all those other things. So again, it's kind of the opposite there where it we're in the micro app and microservices age where we're not, no longer, as a general rule, deploying one massive single system that does everything. Rather, we're loosely coupling individual services, which gives us the flexibility to use whatever the best tools for the job. And I frequently remind people that the majority of those 750 plus connectors are not for Microsoft services. You can just as easily build Power apps on SAP, Oracle, Dropbox as the Microsoft tool. And now there's, there's benefits to using Microsoft, the solution structure, you know, it's all in Azure, single cloud, but you don't have to. And so that's where I think you can, you can in some ways sleep easier at night and also more rapid, the bigger thing these days with the, as, as the business model continues to constrict and shorten is it's so much easier to improve and make changes. That's why we have numerous customers who have built, you know, backends that are built on heavy duty pro code, you know, heavily scaled environments, distributed environments, but they're using power platform for the logic and for the front end of it, because it gives them the ability to more rapidly innovate and change that 
you know, versus, you know, examples we've seen at many of our customers where they are on legacy versions of Oracle SAP or even legacy Microsoft platforms, all of, all of our friends on Dynamics GP and other things like that gives them a lot more flexibility to do that, including like if you're not ready to move off of those legacy platforms, it can be your kind of baby steps into the modern world because we can connect to those, we can automate them, we can do Power Automate and RPA to automate them and build apps and chatbots and other interfaces that connect you know, your legacy systems with the modern world. So that's just a taste of some of the questions we could, if we went through all these questions, we'd probably have to have a three hour podcast. And <laughs> I think so too. I know that you and I can very much get excited and carried away when we get asked these questions, just because there's such a game changer. The power platform is incredibly powerful and incredibly useful in so many different scenarios. I think we're just both really passionate about it. <laughs> Absolutely. So be sure you download the latest edition at global.hitachi-solutions.com. And it's both a web, it's both a blog post and there's a insights to go where you could download a really snazzy PDF version and take it with you or, or send it to a friend. And, and uh, that's a great way if you are working with other people at your company and they're interested or having some of these questions. Download and pass it on to them because we have we've received some very good feedback from from that. I would say key takeaway here is a lot of questions have to do with decisions you might be going through. So along with the question we talked about, like should I use an app or should I use a flow? Other questions are should I use Logic Apps or Power Automate? Should I use a Power App or a Chatbot? Should I, should I write a report or should I make an app? That's a very common one because some business scenarios are kind of in the middle. Like, well, for some people, an app, a report would probably be better, but then people need to interact with it. And a lot of times, spoiler alert, the answer comes down to it's not either or, it can be both. Have some people leverage it this way, have some people leverage it that way. Like the chatbot one is a really good one, I think, because when it comes down to a chatbot and an app are really both apps. They're different interface. One is more textual and conversation-driven. The other one is more graphical and gives the user a little bit more autonomy in how they go through it. But when it comes down to it, they really are kind of doing the same thing, and it's really understanding the business scenario. So thank you for listening, and uh, please remember to, to subscribe to the Exchanges podcast. Thanks, Em. Thanks, Joel. That was a lot of fun. We are Hitachi Solutions, a global team of innovators who support our customers' data and business system modernization initiatives.